morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning and you're with the Double L team, Lyle and Lawson. Lawson, good to have you on the show this morning. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm sad about this morning? What are you sad? We don't have Janae here. Yeah, we don't. It's she was awesome us. last week. Yeah, we were so blessed. It was but really she did, good. She did record an interview before she left. Oh, and I believe that's coming up, right? That is coming up. We're going uh-huh. to play that interview this morning. So if you're wondering how Janae just sort of suddenly popped into the studio, well, <laughs> she did record an interview and it's going to be a really good one. So Ooh. stay tuned for interview of Gang the day. Keen. Lyle, what are you, what are you grateful for this morning? I am grateful for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Easter weekend is a time that uh, uh, many people across the world remember that event. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, especially remember that event. It's something we should remember every day, but people do take uh, special notice of it at that time of year. And so, you know, it's just it's just nice. It's just nice Mm. to have that uh, that special reminder. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I I spent Easter kind of with my family. Uh, Just yeah. Easter Sunday, we went out to lunch with a bit of my family, and then you know, my family's kind of all over the place. And then I spent spent the afternoon with some more family. So yeah, it was a good time. I also, you know, we had two public holidays, Friday and Monday, and yeah, I was just living my best life, doing nothing. It was great. So, but I'm so glad to be back here on radio. Yes, indeed. And mm-hmm. of course, um, over the weekend, well, you know what I did? What did you do? Just worked. That's awesome. Just worked on the house. Good for you. <laughs> it was good. It was good. But it's work. If you're working on like building your house, yeah, it's good. We got, it's we got fun lots of work. That's right. We got lots of stuff done. We were supposed to be away. Yeah, yeah. We were supposed to go to our son's engagement party, but he lives in Queensland. The party was happening where her family comes from in Victoria, and Queensland and Victoria weren't talking to each other for a while there last <laughs> week, and so kind of got cancelled. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It feels like Monday and it feels like it's really late in the day. It does. Oh, I work. I'm like, I'm not late, right? Because it's sunny outside. But of course, our clocks rolled back over the weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, Shell and I were laying in bed this morning. It's like, should we get up? I mean, we've been awake here for an hour already. Should we just get up? And yeah. I'm like, no, I refuse. <laughs> Shell just got up. <laughs> All right, uh, let's have a look at some good news right across the world. I have a few stories here. Um, I'm going to start off, ooh, ooh, cool tech or heartwarming? What do you want to hear, Lyle? Ooh, ooh, um, mm, producer Shell's going for heartwarming, I'm going for cool tech. Oh, okay. Well, you know what, I'll split it down the middle and right, I won't do, do either of those. Oh, uh, come on. Just right now. No, this is a quick one. I just wanted, I thought I read this headline this morning and I thought it was funny. Essentially, NASA has just announced that we are safe from being hit by an asteroid for another one hundred years. So, oh, good, good, good job. <laughs> I guess they just look out into the that sky. That is positively different news. Yeah, for a hundred, they're like, yep, and for one hundred years, we probably won't be hit by an asteroid. Like they just see nothing there, and they're like, well, I guess. A hundred years, fair enough. Like, I feel like that's so arbitrary. I'm but- just sort of worried for my granddaughter now. Oh, that's tough. Because, you know, if she makes it to a hundred years old, she might get hit, hit by an asteroid. A hundred and one. Yeah, dude. Well, like her great-grandchildren are, you know, 
Yeah. Really going to No, may the Lord come well and truly before then. Amen. All right, but let's have a look at some some good... Uh, let's start with the heartwarming. This is a really, really good story coming out of uh, the stage, states about a woman named Marge Stagmeyer. Now, this lady, uh, Marge Stagmeyer, uh, she's a Georgia State University graduate, and around that time, she became interested in, you know, the housing market and becoming a landlord and kind of growing her, uh, you know, growing her profile that way. And so she started to invest um, in, you know, old affordable apartment communities uh, that, that exist in the United States, places where people for, you know, low socio-income um, families and whatnot can get apartments. And she realized quickly that um, a lot of these, you know, low-income, single-parent homes that existed in, in these affordable apartment communities uh, were in desperate need of social services, after-school programs and playgrounds and and these kinds of things. So she started a non-for-profit organization uh, called Star C and just started going hard. This this was a, about 25 years ago she started this program and, you know, just providing social services for the different, uh, you know, places that she had invested in. And for the last 25 years, it has grown and grown and grown. Um but I think, yeah, where this really gets highlighted, and, you know, since that she's, she's seen people who have been through the Star Seed pro- pro- program, which is, you know, now thousands of kids have gone through, grow up to, you know, coming from low income families, grow up to go to university, to become doctors and lawyers. And, you know, it's been a real success, but where Darcy has really kind of come into, uh, I guess, uh, the public light is during coronavirus, they realized how many people are affected, you know, jobs being laid off and whatnot, uh, and they, you know, financially struggling. So she decided to just take to GoFundMe uh, to start a campaign to raise money as, you know, eviction relief, essentially, for these low-income families that have been, had lost their job during coronavirus, um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, she put up, you know, $50,000 GoFundMe, uh, you know, we're going to help people not get evicted. And the program was successful, raised about $50,000. But this then caught the attention of the Cobb County um, government, the municipal government, government in that area. And essentially, they were like, wow, this is a great thing. We need to get on this. And so, in you know, instead of only having $50,000 at their disposal, all of a sudden they had a grant of $1.5 million. Um, from there... That's a big difference. A massive difference. Um, from there, other municipal... Uh, municipalities like Fulton County started donating as well to the point where they raised over $9 million for their eviction relief fund. And uh, essentially, they were able to save, uh, help over 3,000 families avoid eviction, uh, which is just, that's a like 3,000 families, uh, you know, again, a, like a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of money, a lot of struggle, particularly in these communities. And so it's just awesome to see uh, this story and how it's played out and how, I guess, yeah, something has started so organically, you know, a GoFundMe page from an after-school program that was helping with social service all of a sudden, yeah, government funding and now thousands and thousands of people in this area are thankful um 
to, you know, Marge's small star C after school program for essentially saving their housing, which is a massive thing. You know, uh, homelessness, homelessness, particularly in the States, is, you know, a huge epidemic. And to see that, yeah, these families are being saved from that reality um, is a fantastic thing. So, yeah, I read that this morning. And I was like, that is awesome. Good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, we need to have more of it. Hundred percent. All right. So in tech news this morning, I read this. I, okay, I, I just love new tech. It's like my favorite thing, particularly when it has to do with uh, you know the environment and whatnot. And you know, solar solar power is definitely kind of one of the mainstays in progressive technology going forward. Um, but. A uh, Mexican biotechnician and uh, MIT graduate, Aidan Ramirez, has invented a solar panel that is made from algae. That's cool, and it's it's really cool. It's, this is really, really, really cool because. So, is it is it like a living, alive thing all the time, or is it dead algae? So, no, so you it's, harvest algae and so, kill it, and then. So no, I think so. What happened? This is great. Okay, so you harvest the algae, and they have you know they've created this solar panel, um, and it has like nanotechnology and whatnot in it to you know work with the algae. But essentially, uh, not only does it harvest energy from the sun um but it also it also creates oxygen and uh you know is it because it's like disposable like uh bio what's the word there um it's like has bio waste right because it's algae that like Uh runs out over time uh it also turns into fertilizer Oh, cool. So, essentially, yeah. So, use my solar panels to fertilize my garden. Yeah, and create clean air. And, you know, this is just, like, the greatest thing ever. And it's it's in startup at the moment. Um, They're getting more and more funding. But, yeah, just... uh, So, my solar panels are going to get... uh, Are going to eat carbon dioxide, fertilize my garden, and make my electricity. 100%. Love it. How good is that? That's very cool. (laughs) You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so this is a breaking news story. It's coming out of the United States. Um, this new class action that is taking place. This was kicked off by a girl by the name of Megan Stephan, um, who is um, gay. And uh, the Moody Bible Institute that she was attending does not graduate students who practice or promote LGBT uh, plus practices mm-hmm. and so you know they've got no problem if that's what your uh you know your your tendencies are or whatever but if you practice that or promote that they say no this is not a biblical position to have and therefore we don't graduate people who um who take that particular view and you know moody bible institute they are their own university they are their own college they can make up whatever rules mm. that they want mm. and of course um uh, you know they they prohibit from People from dating and being in same-sex relationships, dating same-sex people um, who are students at their college. Uh, there have been some who have been disciplined for social media posts, uh, denied dorm access, blocked access to LGBT plus sites uh, on the college um on the college Wi-Fi and so forth. So these are, these are some of the things that have been happening. And so she's launched this class action because she said, well, you can't do that if you are receiving federal money because you're basically using then federal money to discriminate. Mm. And, of course, these are institutions that have had the right to discriminate uh, based on religion. And, of course, the word discriminate sounds bad, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It simply means that they're allowed to hire and fire and, and, and choose what rules they want as far as, you know, their religious practice goes. Mm. 
but she's saying, well, if you're going to receive federal, mon- federal funding, you can't do that. And she's launched a class action that has uh, in now incorporated around about 26 schools and universities right across the United States from a whole bunch of different faith backgrounds that all take the same stand. And so it has included uh, quite a number of Protestant ones, uh, Latter-day Saints, and Seventh-day Adventist universities and colleges. which is an interesting scenario because um, this is not going to affect my alma mater. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was a student there many, many years ago, back in uh, 92, 94 was the era that I was there, and this was a major discussion that was taking place. Do we take federal funding or not? And, of course, Adventist institutions have been taking federal funding since like the 1940s or 50s or something or other. And they were very adamant, this will never happen because one day this will mean that we will have to um, abide by the rules of the government rather than by um, the, the, the rules that we want to set. I mean, yeah. this person's worried about uh, being prohibited from same-sex dating. We were prohibited from dating full stop. <laughs> it was just none. <laughs> Zero. Zip. <laughs> the college that I went to. Mm. And so it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes because I think that um, there's a certain level of validity to the case. Mm. If you're taking federal money, if you're taking government money, then you are kind of bound to go by government standards rather than by religious standards. Whereas if you're not taking government money, you can make it's your school. Make yeah. up whatever rules you want. 100%. And then people just decide whether they want to go there or not. If I want to go there, I go there. If I don't want to go there, I don't go there. Mm. Nobody's got a gun to your head for Forcing you, you need to go to this school. Mm. Yeah, that's so, yeah, heavy stuff. My my question is, what I would like to know what this uh, person was studying. Ooh, let me see if that was in the specifically. Story. Doesn't say what it was in the story. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, it doesn't actually say. Oh, uh, human services. Okay, human service. Mm. Bachelors in human service. Bachelors in human service. That's interesting because. If I thought it was like some particularly Christian, you know, uh, degree, like or th- spiritual degree or theology, like if she was getting yeah, her studying physiology, CEO, and then they have this kind of discrepancy, and then it's like, oh, okay, we, you know, this is this is at odds with what you're studying. Uh, there's there's that spiritual and theological aspect. Whereas human services, that's that's interesting that the university. Okay, so this, this comes down to your philosophy of education. So, for mm. instance, uh, college that I went to, they offered uh, they offered um, pastoral evangelism, they offered teaching, they offered uh, publishing, they offered um, health mm. ministry, um, a few other different um, accounting and so forth. But the philosophy of that particular college was that every degree they offered was a degree that qualified you for ministry in uh, okay. some form. Yes. And so if you're looking at it from that perspective, then, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting, interesting stat. To, mm. Interesting. It'd be very interesting to follow this court case and see where it goes. Yes. Okay, let's see what else we've got here we're going to talk about. There's a bunch of different stories coming through here. Uh, oh, that's a good news story. This one, this one's a more serious one. Okay, so this is about church membership collapsing in the United States. Oh, wow, okay. Yes. <laughs> so for uh, about six decades, church membership in the United States was uh, just sat even at around about the 70% mark. Mm-hmm. And then between 2000 and 2010, it dropped by 10%. That's like falling off the edge of a cliff. Yeah. Then from 2010 to 2020, it dropped by 14%. Wow. So that is a 24% drop in 
20 years. Mm -hmm. That is literally a collapse. Yeah. It's just fallen off the edge of a cliff. And it's interesting to see where the collapse is coming from or what it's being driven by. Mm. Okay, so evangelical churches have pretty much maintained even. The Roman Catholic Church has maintained um, even, and the black Protestant churches have pretty much maintained even. Mm. The churches that have collapsed have been the liberal mainline Protestant churches. Oh, wow. Okay, so is that like... They've just kind of ceased to have a reason to exist. And what's interesting is that you don't have people leaving these churches and heading to the more conservative evangelical churches. Mm. Uh, what you've got is that they're just leaving and going out into nothing. Yeah, leaving the faith, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Now, what is interesting is that minor denominations are on the rise. Mm, okay. So, you know, churches like our church, for instance, are seen as a minor de- denomination, you know, when you look at it. Yeah, compared to, say, yeah. Southern Baptist Convention or something yeah, or other. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. in church here, we're very minor. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've been on the rise during that period, which has been good, and along with a number of other minor denominations. And in many ways, what it's, what it's, what it's revealing is that you cannot, Christianity cannot be, ba- it cannot be purely a philosophy. Mm. So, for instance, there are many religions that you that you can have as purely a philosophy. Uh, Buddhism, for instance, you know, it doesn't matter whether Buddhists lived, died, or didn't, or it never existed. It makes no difference whatsoever at all mm. because it is purely purely a philosophy. But when you get away from biblical truth and you get away from the Bible and you move into higher criticism and you stop believing in the Bible as the inspired word of God and you stop believing in things like, you know, creation Mm. and so forth, um, then you open the door to saying, well, you know, Christianity is a good philosophy to follow and Christianity just simply cannot work that way. Mm. If you don't have the virgin birth... If you don't have the resurrection of Jesus as historical facts, Christianity can't exist mm. as a nice philosophy of a nice way to live. Yeah. And that's what the liberal mainline Protestant churches are revealing. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, in, in verse 1, it says, um, I know your works, that you have a name, that you live and are dead. Be watchful, therefore, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. And we're seeing the fruit of this happening in the United States right now, where we have the collapse of these Christian denominations. We need to get back to the Word of God, because that's where people gain strength and grow in their Christian experience with Jesus Christ. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM with Janae. Joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. Don Baden from Creation Ministries International, who's going to be talking to us about the eight-man theory of evolution. Hi, Don. I'm just going to ask you the first question now. What is a general summary of ape-to-human evolution? Uh, hi, Janae. Uh, good to be with you. Uh, yeah, the idea is that, of course, uh, some sort of ape changed into a human uh, over about 7 million years, they say, um, and uh, everybody's seen the iconic picture of an ape stooped over ape gradually standing up to become a human, which is a total myth, uh, but that's what's taught in our schools and universities, and that's what you see on nature documentaries on TV, 
and it's a well ingrained in people's thinking that this, this actually happened, but it didn't. Right. So I've seen that there are three major groups uh, that are part of this kind of ape to human evolution. Can you please explain what these groups are? The major players uh, would be the Australopithecines. Uh, that's uh, most people would have heard of Lucy. If you've been to high school, you would have been shown uh, reconstructions of Lucy. That's the Australopithecines. And then you have Homo habilis, that's supposed to be the connection between the, uh, these apes and humans. And then you have the Homo erectus. And then you have the Neanderthals, and most people heard of Neanderthal man or Neanderthals, and uh, then you have the modern humans. So they're the main players in in the story. Right, so there's actually uh, more than three, as you've corrected. So why are they important to the ape-man theory, particularly the Australopithecus? I believe it is. Why is that important? Uh, Australopithecines were this Lucy's kind were portrayed as being sort of somewhere between humans and apes. So this was the claim. Mm. But the uh, some very detailed studies were done by uh, Sir Charles Oxnard, for example, but also another guy by the name of Zuckerman. And they, particularly Oxnard, did very detailed measurements of the Australopithecines, all their bones, all the different bones and everything, compared them with humans and with chimpanzees. Chimpanzees are supposed to be our closest relative according to the evolutionary story. And he did this detailed comparison and used a computer program to actually do the comparison rather than just eyeballing it. So, oh, that looks like, like an ape man. Uh, he actually did it scientifically, and the result of that was the Australopithecines were not intermediate between humans and apes at all. Uh, they, were, they were different to the uh, chimpanzees for sure, but they were not in between. They were like in a different direction, in the wrong direction even. So the Australopithecines were ruled they couldn't be our ancestor connecting us to the apes because they weren't even intermediate. Uh, but then the big, the one that's supposed to connect that ape and the the Australopithecines were apes, a type of ape, uh, to humans are supposed to be Homo habilis, which uh, is, just means handyman. But Australopithecines, so, sorry, uh, evolutionary experts themselves have agreed uh, in recent times that uh, Homo habilis was actually not a real thing at all. It's actually a mixed bag of human bits and ape bits. So when you get uh, some eight bones and some human bones and put them together, uh, of course you get an eight man. <laughs> right. So they, they've, a number of them have agreed that Homo habilis never existed and Homo habilis is absolutely, absolutely critical for the story because uh, that's the one that connects uh, supposed Australopithecines to humans. And then the ones that remain, you've got Homo erectus, Homo and uh, the Neanderthals and uh, they are just varieties of humans. So they're not eight men at all. Uh, that they were portrayed like that, but uh, particularly uh, the Neanderthals the in the past were portrayed as eight men, but we found the DNA of some of the Neanderthals uh, and uh, the evolution of the gobsmacked at how similar it was to modern human DNA. So similar, in fact, that you can't say that they were not just varieties of humans. Uh, in fact, one of the evolutionists said if you dressed up uh, Neanderthal a man in a, a woman in a business suit put them in a New York subway that nobody would notice. They would not be noticed as non-human. Um, and that's, that's the reality. So the story, uh, with all those intermediate forms and everything has evaporated in recent times. There was in fact a cover on New Scientist, uh, I think it was in 2017, uh, where they had the uh, picture on the blackboard 
of the split date becoming a human, you know, the iconic image, and they rubbed out all the ones in between. And they said the human story of evolution is being rewritten. Well, they're still waiting for it to be rewritten because the evidence is not there for it. So, Don, I've got a question I'd love to toss in just now, um, and that is that let's say that, you know, all of humankind was wiped out tomorrow by something like maybe a global flood and uh, 4,000 years from now some archaeologists and, and scientists turned up from another planet. Would they, looking at the variations that there are amongst humans that live right now, be able to, and using the same um, specifications, I guess, for research, be able to come up with different species from the, you know, the skulls and the skeletons that would be left on this earth from right now amongst normal human beings? Um, they could well do so. You think of the variety of humans on the earth today. Uh, you look at the uh, pygmies in Africa, for example, compared in, uh, with, the, with the other people in Africa or other people in other parts of the world. Uh, there's enormous variety in the human, uh, human species. And uh, so, yeah, you could well uh, imagine that they weren't related. In fact, you know, with Darwin's ideas of evolution, uh, people were thinking and have thought that, you know, people from Africa were not the same uh, kind as Europeans or Asians, you know, and had separate evolutionary origins and this sort of thing. Uh, but modern science shows us, in fact, that that's not the case, well, particularly the DNA studies, uh, show us that we're all closely related. The differences in the DNA are, are tiny between all the different human t- uh, varieties in the world today. Right, so I'm aware that there's a lot of supposed DNA evidence for eight men. Um, and, you know, how valid is this? And if not, does that indicate that we're directly descended from Adam and Eve? Yeah, uh, the DNA evidence does not stand for eight men idea at all. Uh, people claim it does because they assume it does. So they don't actually look at the data, they look at the evidence. When you look at the evidence, you find that uh, there's, there's actually two lines of evidence that point back to the biblical history. One is the mitochondrial DNA. So we all inherit our mitochondrial DNA from our mother. And it comes comes from our mother's line all the way back to the first mother. And but when you look at all the different uh, varieties of variations of the mitochondrial DNA around the world, you can actually trace them all back to one mother. Now, not, not, not a dozen mothers, not a hundred mothers, not a thousand mothers, but one mother. Um, and... So originally the evolutionary scientists who found this were a bit cold smacked by that, but they thought, oh, well, there would have been sort of thousands of people. It just happened that, that all the different maternal lines died off over time and only one survived, and that's possible. It's very remotely possible. Uh, so, and they also put a date of, of the eve of that 200,000 years, of course, which doesn't match the biblical date. But what they did was assume evolution to get that date. So they assumed that the mutation rate in the mitochondrial DNA uh, was very, very low. Uh, and they based that on evolutionary assumptions by comparing our mitochondrial DNA with, say, a chimp. But when you actually measure the rate of mutation, look at your, me, my children, their children, for example, compare their mitochondrial DNA and look at how many differences there are, you find the mutation rate is much, much higher and when you use the actual measured mutation rate to get a date for Eve of about 6,000 years ago, hey, bingo, that's the biblical date for Eve. 
And then if you do the other things, you can look at the Y chromosome, which of course is only inherited from your father. So only males have a Y chromosome. Uh, and this is why there's only male and female. There are not 100, 100 different genders. There's only two, uh, male and female. If you have a Y chromosome, you're male. But you, so the males inherit that from their father. And you can look at the differences in the Y chromosome DNA. And that traces back to one man. And they call that white chromosome Adam. But of course they put a date of 150,000 years or something like that. So they never, mitochondrially even white chromosome Adam didn't actually know one another. Um, however, when you look at the real mutation rate again, you find that uh, white chromosome Adam dates to four and a half thousand years ago. Well, hang on a minute. That's not 6,000 years. Well, the reason for that is that of course Noah and his family, uh, there was only one source of Y chromosomes at the time of the flood, and that was from Noah himself. His three sons of course got their Y chromosome from him. Uh, so whereas with the females, there were, there were three women who were the daughters, the uh, wives of the three sons of Noah, uh, and of course so there's three different sources of mitochondrial DNA at the time of the flood. Uh, so they point back to the one at the beginning, so that's the reason for the difference in age, and it all confirms very nicely the biblical history uh, that we read in Genesis. Right, so it's interesting that you know, you know, the stark contrast between evolution and creation. And there are many Christians who struggle with the interpretation of Genesis, um, and that's because they're motivated by so-called science. Is it possible to be both a Christian and an evolutionist? Well, it's certainly possible because I was. Uh, at one stage, I tried to believe in evolution and I certainly was a Christian. And uh, so I don't doubt, doubt that that's the case. Um, but in my own case, in my own experience, it was when I discovered that, that I didn't have to actually try and, try and uh, put these two things together, it was incredibly liberating. And uh, that's why I'm involved in this ministry now because there's a lot of people out there that have never heard the evidence for creation and the Bible's account. And because they've only ever heard the evolutionary story, they think it must be true and they think they must accept it. But look, here's the, here's the wonderful thing. It's not true. You don't have to accept it. In fact, the Bible's account of history is the accurate account of history. Uh, and it's a, it's an incredibly liberating thing. I found it was so, and many other people have found it so as well, uh, to discover that, in fact, this is not real science. This, this evolutionary storytelling is not, not the sort of science that put men in the moon or gives us modern medicine or technology when it works. <laughs> and, uh, it, it's a different sort of science. It's, it's, that sort of science, a good, the science which gives us all those benefits. You can do experiments, you can test things, you can repeat the experiments. You can, but when it comes to evolution, it's a belief about what happened in the past. The unobserved past, you can't reconstruct, you can't actually repeat the past. You can't do experiments on what happened in the past. It's basically storytelling dressed up as science. And, uh, it's, it's uh, important that Christians realize that they don't have to believe it because it undermines the Bible from the very beginning. Okay, so humans and chimpanzees are supposedly only 1% different. What do you have to say to this? Yeah, you know, the claim is we're 99% same in our DNA, and this is this is a total myth. Uh, it's been claimed, it's widely believed, it's widely stated, but it's absolutely wrong. In fact, if you think about it, 1% difference is a huge difference anyway because we have 3,000 million chemical letters on our DNA. 
So one percent difference would be thirty million letters. It's not a small difference. But the difference is at least ten percent now, since all the human and chimp DNA has been decoded and, and so on and studied, the difference is at least ten percent, which is three hundred million letters and possibly as high as thirty percent, which is just huge. So the, the humans and chimps are not just slightly different. We are incredibly different, and it's a huge problem for evolution. So how long would it take for a chimp to transition to a human? Yeah, well, the claim is it took 7 million years or so for a common ancestor of a chimp to change into a human. But when you look at the DNA differences and you say, well, is it possible, even given all the best assumptions for evolution, for that to happen? So the mutations are supposed to change one into the other, uh, but when you look at all the different parameters required, uh, all the different estimates of, of the different things like the population size, uh, the size of the genome, the number of mutations that occur, uh, how beneficial the mutations might be in theory, etc. And you, you can plug that into a computer program which simulates or models the population and calculate, find out how long it would take. Do you know that it would take 84 million years to get just two letters lined up on the DNA, 84 million years. And if you stretch out the five five letters, just five letters, uh, it would take 2,000 million years. And this means that evolution from a chimp-like creature into a human is not just improbable, not just unlikely, it's impossible. This is what modern human genetics DNA studies show. How many yeah. letters in total need to need to change to go from a uh, you know we talk about two letters or five letters? How many how many in total would you need to change to become a human being from a chimp? Well, that's what we talked about three hundred million. Yeah, that's right? a lot of letters. That, that's the, the minimum. That's the minimum. Three hundred million. This is the ten percent difference. Uh, it's three hundred million, and we, just to get two it takes eighty four million years. <laughs> so look, the whole the whole story is complete and utter bunkum. <laughs> Uh, you look up the paper, it's called The Waiting Time Problem. The Waiting Time Problem. Uh, you can look it up on the on the internet. It's a published paper in a secular journal. Fantastic. Don, would you like to um, say anything to for us just to promote uh, Creation Ministries? Yeah, well, there's a heap of information about all this subject on creation.com. If you just go to creation.com and search ape men, uh, one word, you'll find uh, lots and lots of articles. There's a question and answer page there with key articles on it uh, called uh, Anthropology Questions and Answers. Uh, you'll find those quite readily there. Um, of course, Creation Magazine, uh, every issue or so, uh, usually got something about eight men and about something about that. There's one coming up in the next issue. In fact, there's an article in the next issue about what I just talked about uh, with the uh, the DNA changes and the possibility of evolution uh due to this waiting time problem, so that's also there. So there's a wealth of material there, there's videos and so on as well. It's incredible. People should get informed about this. It is so interesting, so liberating to know that we're made in the of God. So just one final question. Why is it important that we know our origins um, as a humanity? Well, if we're made in the image of God, many, many things flow from that in society. One is that life, human life is special. And consequently, when the society was strongly Christian, uh, we didn't abort babies. Since we become just uh, animals, then we start doing things like aborting babies or getting rid of old people that are no longer in use. I call it euthanasia, but not just the old people either. So these different things come into society when we lose sight of the fact that we're made in the image of God. 
if we just made an image of animals, uh, then it flows over into society and end up with a very different society. Uh, but it's very important, particularly from uh, the gospel point of view, because if death and suffering has been here for hundreds of millions of years uh, before people came on the scene, which the evolutionary story claims, then it means that death and suffering were a part of the world from the beginning, and it means that God's not good. And this is one of the common questions that people have, is having to believe in a good God when there's so much death and suffering in the world. But the Bible tells us that death and suffering and disease come about because of man's rebellion against God in the beginning. It wasn't actually the way God created everything. It was all very good. As it says, after God made the, the, the woman, uh, after he made the people, he said it was all very good. And uh, that's it wasn't a thing. It was paradise. It was Eden. But uh, the evolutionary story undermines all that totally. So it's very, very important for the gospel. It's very, very important for society. Yeah, well, thank you. We really appreciate uh, having you on. You are listening to Dr. Don Baden from Creation Ministries International. If you would like more information, go to creation.com where you can find thousands of scientific articles and, of course, subscribe to the outstanding Creation magazine. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.